We are concluding our study of Judges today, and I know many of you are upset about that. I hope Judges has been a rewarding study for you. I want to encourage you to go ahead and finish out the book, even though we're stopping in chapter 16. So we're looking today at the final judge of the book. But the book itself has 21 chapters, and it ends on a rather sad note. It doesn't have a happy ending. So I would encourage you to go ahead and finish the book. But this morning, we're looking at, without a doubt, the most famous judge in the book. And this is the story of Samson, that people that are believers in Christ, people that are not believers in Christ, everybody knows the story of Samson. It's kind of like a myth or a legend that everybody is aware of. So we're looking today at Judges 16, the story of Samson and Delilah. And what we see in Judges is every single judge that we've looked at, we see characteristics of ourselves in those men and women. But what we're going to see at the end of our sermon today is that the hero of the book of Judges is God. He is the faithful one who remains faithful to a flawed people like you and I. So if you would, go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 16. We're going to read the whole chapter. Beginning in verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped the arms off, excuse me, snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, 
Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pen and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pen, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God for my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, And to rejoice, and they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me. Only this once, O God that I may avenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down, took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. That is how the judges in the book of Judges end. And we have to have a little bit of background because we need to go back and see that from the very beginning, Samson had a lot of issues. In Judges chapter 14, he finds a Philistine woman and he tells his parents... Make her my wife. And they urge him, Samson, you know that God has told us we should not marry women from foreign nations. And Samson says, I don't care. Bring me that woman. So he marries a Philistine. And then in Judges 15, he tears a lion with his bare hands. 
And later he walks by, and as that lion is decomposing, bees take up residency in that lion, and they begin to make honey. And he walks by the lion, and he eats honey out of the dead carcass of the lion. Now, the reason these details are important is because Samson is one of only two Nazarites that we have recorded specifically in Scripture. Samson and Samuel. And a little bit later in the sermon, we're going to unpack what it meant to be a Nazarite. But from the very beginning, Samson was a judge who was self-sufficient. He thought he could do everything on his own. He disobeyed God rather than obey exactly what God had commanded him to do. In our text today, there are four observations that I want to show you. The number one is Samson had a major, major flaw. In the very first verse of chapter 16, you have this depiction of Samson hiring a prostitute and going into her. And the author of Judges makes no commentary about this. It's just like it's another day in the life of Samson. And unfortunately for him, this was true. Samson did whatever he wanted to do with any woman he wanted. He had a weakness. You see, in spite of the fact that Samson was one of the strongest men who lived on earth, he had a major, major weakness for women. And he allowed this weakness to overtake his life. And so even though he has the power and the strength to do whatever he wants, in reality, women were the ones that had control of his life. You see, Samson took the strength that God gave him and he used it only for his own benefit, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus teaches us to do in the New Testament. In Philippians 2, Paul tells us that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus had self-control. Jesus could have overthrown the Jews and the Romans and been this world leader. The Jewish people were expecting Jesus to be the Messiah that would come and lead the Jewish people to freedom. They wanted a world power. But Jesus was not that type of Messiah. Even though they wanted him to be, he humbled himself and died on a cross. Even though he had the power to avoid that behavior, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. And Samson has no self-control in this area of his life. There was a book written in 1936 by a man named Wilhelm Reich. And it was called The Sexual Revolution. Now this guy was a disciple of Sigmund Freud. But his belief was that humans can never reach their full potential unless they are able to express themselves sexually. Now this is a major problem. This book was written some 25 years before the sexual revolution that happened in America in the 1960s. But in reality... What Reich is talking about in his book is exactly what Samson was doing. He could only find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in his life if he was able to express himself sexually. Let's fast forward to 2019 where the world would tell us that you are not completely human unless you are able to express yourself sexually. That is the pinnacle of what it means to be a human being in society today. But that is not what the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches. 
Even in the church sometimes, we can be guilty of elevating marriage over singleness as if the pinnacle of our Christian life is to marry somebody. And yet we completely forget what Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 7 about the advantages of remaining single and being able to use your singleness for the glory of God. I love this quote by Jackie Hill Perry, who I've mentioned many times before. She tells this, Our sexuality is not our soul. Marriage is not heaven. And singleness is not hell. If we view our lives like Samson did, only being able to truly express ourselves, if we can exercise our sexual freedom, then we have missed what it means to be a follower of Christ. That is not the pinnacle of life. So in a world where sexuality is the most important concept, how do we as believers in Jesus Christ confront that narrative? Trevin Wax, in his book, This Is Our Time, points out two important things for believers in Jesus Christ to do. Anytime a cultural narrative comes our way that we know does not align with Scripture, we should do two things. Number one, we should resist it. But number two, we should redirect people. You see, if all we do is resist every single cultural narrative that comes our way, that goes against what the gospel says, then we become complainers with bad attitudes. But if while we resist, we redirect people and show them why the gospel offers a better way, then we give them hope and a future. We have to speak with clarity more than ever before and with compassion in our world today. We must not only resist narratives that go against God's word, but we should redirect people and show them why the gospel offers a better way. Samson, unfortunately, didn't see a better way than Delilah. And he gave in to that lie. Second thing I want you to see is that idols always seduce us. As Samson continues on in the story, he really falls prey to Delilah and her tricks. In fact, by the end of the story, Samson is no longer worshiping God. He is worshiping the God of women. She has complete control of his heart, the author of Judges tells us. And for you and I, maybe it's not women, but what you need to know is every single idol that we have in our life, they try to teach us that unless you have it, you will never be satisfied, you will never be fulfilled, you will never have purpose. That is what every single idol in our culture today tells us, that you must have it in order to find life, in order to find fulfillment. Samson believed this lie. Unless he could have every woman that he wanted, he was not satisfied. They seduce us. They make us think that they're the most important thing in our life. Let's take a very, very popular, what I would consider current idol in our society today. And it's the little thing that sits in our pockets and our purses. And it's called our cell phone. And Trevin Wax, in that same book that I just mentioned, points out two myths that the cell phone leads you and I to believe. So when we get our cell phone, all of us in this room, whether we're admitting it or not, we have a fear of missing out. We do not want to miss the latest, greatest story. We do not want to miss the Facebook post. We do not want to miss the Insta story. That's the right term, right? 
Insta story? Because I don't have Instagram, but I'm pretty sure that's the right term. I'm really showing my old age here. But we're afraid we're going to miss those things. And so we pick up our phone all the time to ensure that we do not miss the latest, greatest story that is out there. And the myth that the phone is telling you is, I am your ultimate source of knowledge. That's what the phone tells us. And so this is what we do. We filter the amount of information that we get on our phone. It's too much. We can never be completely caught up on what's going on in the world. So we filter it down and we choose people that we agree with. Sportscasters, journalists, bloggers. And we follow those people on social media. And suddenly what you see is everybody that you follow on social media, the second myth the phone teaches you is you are always right. Because the people you follow agree with your mindset. Maybe the phone is not the idol in your life. But I would venture to guess, in fact, I know that every single one of us in this room has an idol. Something that we look to for meaning and purpose and fulfillment, career, money, family, achievement, productivity, your favorite sports team, your favorite hobby. If those things were taken from you, could you survive without them? And if the answer is no, you have an idol problem. I think for me, the most prevalent idol in my life right now would be my routine. I am a creature of habit to the nth degree. I wake up the same time every single morning. I eat the same thing for breakfast every single day. I eat lunch the same time every single day. I go to bed the same time every single night. And if my routine gets messed up, you can ask my family and friends, I'm a very, very cranky person. In fact, it's so bad that when we go to the beach in the summer, something that 99% of people enjoy doing, I am more stressed because I'd rather just be home doing my daily routine. Whatever that idol is in your life, we have to identify it. And we have to pray that God could give us the strength to see that all we need for purpose and fulfillment and meaning in life is Him. And Samson missed that. As the story continues, we see that the author of Judges tells us that Samson gave Delilah his heart. He told her everything that was in his heart. And so Delilah, she lays it on pretty thick. I mean, three times Samson tries to tell her that this will destroy me, this will destroy me, this will destroy me. None of those things work. He has lied to her three times. Finally, on the fourth try, he's tired of hearing her ask. And so he gives up the source of his strength. Now, remember I told you that Samson is a Nazarite. And we don't have time to look at it this morning but you can go back to Numbers chapter 6 and see all of the qualifications of what it meant to be a Nazarite. It was a vow that somebody made to God. And Samson's mother and Samuel's mother both make those vows on behalf of their children. And here's what the vow entailed. Samson could not have grapes, raisins, wine, Vinegar, although I'm not sure why he'd be drinking straight vinegar, but, you know, maybe it was cooked in something. He could not cut his hair. 
He could not be near dead carcasses or graves. Remember I told you earlier that Samson had taken honey out of the carcass of a dead lion. So he has already violated the Nazarite vow that he had made. And then we see here that if his hair is cut, he will lose his strength. And so the Philistines come upon him this fourth time. Delilah has cut his hair. And he gets up thinking that he'll be able to overthrow the Philistines just like he's been able to do every single time. But the scariest part of this story is when the author of Judges tells us Samson did not realize the Spirit of God had left him. Why is that significant? Because at this point in the story, Samson has begun to believe that his strength was a result of himself. He is completely self-sufficient at this point in the story. He no longer thinks that he needs God. He began to believe the lie that his strength was all about him. And so when the Spirit of God leaves him, he's not even aware. You and I have this same tendency in our hearts and in our minds to believe that everything that happens to us is because we made it happen. And I feel like a broken record saying this, but everything that happens to us for good in this world happens because our God allows it to happen. Yes, we should work hard. Yes, we should do everything we possibly can to give ourselves success. But it's God that allows these things to happen to us. And if we forget the source of our strength, like Samson did, we have become completely self-sufficient. And we are now worshiping the idol of self instead of the God of the universe. So the Philistines, they come upon Samson. And Judges tells us that they pluck his eyes out. And they call him up front and they say, Samson, come and entertain us. And so they're drinking, they're dancing, they're laughing at Samson because the hero of Israel has now been caught. He has been subdued. And the Philistines think there is no way that the Israelites can come back from this mess. You know, there are some redeemable qualities in the story of Samson. But sometimes I'm afraid when we look at this particular story, we finish the story talking about how much of a hero Samson was. But Samson is not the hero of the story. God is the hero of this story. And we have to understand, every time we open the Word of God, it is a grand narrative talking about how from Genesis to Revelation, God redeems people. It is not about how we redeem ourselves. It's about how God redeems us. The story of Samson has a lot of parallels to the life of Jesus. Samson was born to a barren mother. Jesus was born to a virgin Mary. Samson and Jesus' birth were both foretold by angels. Samson defeats a lion. Jesus defeats Satan who is referenced as a lion in 1 Peter, who comes to devour us. Delilah betrays Samson with 1,100 pieces of silver. Judas betrays Jesus with silver. These are all of the similarities that we see in Samson's life and Jesus' life. But let me tell you the many, many ways that Samson and Jesus are different. 
Samson is a man with no self-control. Arrogance. Pride. No humility whatsoever. And in Jesus, we have the ultimate picture of humility. The ultimate picture of what it means to lay yourself down for other people. And then the ultimate self-control to stay on that cross even though he had the power to come down. Jesus is the ultimate picture of self-control. Samson musters up enough strength to ask the Philistines to move him into the pagan temple in between these two pillars. And they're laughing at him, mocking him, probably spitting on him. And when he's at his lowest point, the most humble time in Samson's life, he reaches out to God and God answers his prayer. You see, it's in our weakest, most humble moments that we are most connected to God. And Samson asks for the strength just one more time to deliver the Israelites from the clutches of the Philistines. And he pushes on those pillars and the 3,000 people on the roof and everybody underneath, including him, perish. The hero of the story is God. Because what we see in Judges is that God always gets his glory. In this story and in our lives. So we come to the end of Samson. We come to the end of this book and we ask ourselves, what am I supposed to do with the stories in this book? So I want to point out to you, as we wrap up this entire series today, just three observations for us to meditate on and think about this week. Number one, we all need to spend some time praying and identifying the idols in our life. We've been talking about them for the last 10 weeks. I don't need to repeat them again. Spend some time seriously reflecting and asking ourselves, what are the created things in this world that we are worshiping instead of the Creator? Number two, after we have prayed and asked the Spirit to show us, we need to develop an intentional plan to remove those idols from our life. You know, the wonderful thing that we see in Judges is every single time the Israelites turn away from their idols, God is there ready to rescue them and redeem them. And he will do the same thing for you and I. And then number three, remember that he's going to be faithful to you if you are in Jesus Christ. Just like he was faithful to Gideon and Deborah and Jephthah, and Samson, and Tola, and Jer, and every single judge that we have looked at. If you are in Christ, Jesus is faithful to you. So we don't leave the book of Judges today with no hope. We have hope in the one who came to redeem a flawed people like you and I. And that's what Samson shows us. So today we leave reflecting on all of these qualities that we see in these men and these women that we've studied. But ultimately I want us to leave today knowing that God is faithful to the promises that he has made to us in his word. You can take those to the bank. Perhaps you doubt God's faithfulness to you. 
If you doubt that, look to the cross where Jesus demonstrates for you and I the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate picture of what it means to be faithful. Jesus died unconditionally for you and me. This is an event rooted in history. And he did it because he loves humanity. And he wants a relationship with us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the book of Judges. All of the different ways that you provide for the Israelites in spite of their disobedience, in spite of the fact that they reject you, they ignore you, they go after other gods, you rescue them when they turn away from their idols. And God, we confess to you that we all have idols in our lives, things that we are looking to for purpose and fulfillment and for salvation. And they cannot redeem us. Show us what those are. Remind us today and every single day that we wake up that the only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Work on our hearts now, God, as we meditate and reflect on all of the ways that you care and provide for us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.